Hmm. So what do you think? Can I know God personally? Can I know God personally? Can I have a relationship with God? Is that possible? Uh, for some people, that just seems like the one in the video. Like maybe that's a little ridiculous, this idea that we mere mortals could have a relationship with God. And, and why me? Why me over anyone else? Or, you know, I'm certainly not special. Um, you know, I'm not the, the maholiest person. I'm not, you know, uh, the best person. Maybe that's part of it. Or, and, and then also how? Uh, if we could have a relationship with God, then, then how? What would it look like? How would you even know if you were in one or not? Uh, at what point, you know, it's kind of like you're that awkward date stage where you're like, wait, what are we doing here? Are we, is this a, is this a thing or is this, a, shouldn't have asked that question, right? You don't ask the status question. I think we struggle sometimes with this idea of knowing God because um, we, we, the way we naturally assume relationships work. I think we struggle with the idea of having a relationship with God because of the way we assume relationships work, which is in many ways very selfish. We have a tradition in my, my family uh, with our five kids that on someone's birthday, we you know, get the dessert out and the cake and we sing happy birthday and then we go around the table and we say, what is our favorite thing about that person? You know? And it's so sweet over the years to see how their comments kind of mature over the time, you know, because they begin, uh, and it's sweet and loving, brings a cheer to our eye every time, but it's sweet because often it'll be something like, well, I just, my favorite thing about Milo is that he shares his toys with me, and he plays with me, uh, and he takes care of me. Okay, that's really sweet, but you can hear that in the response, like our favorite thing is about that person, how they treat me, how I feel. And I think that is indicative of how we view relationships. I think our relationships struggle, honestly, because we are naturally and natively selfish in our motives. What we get out of a relationship, am I feeling loved? Do I get security? Do I get affection? Do I get purpose, you know, like marriage or kids or something? Um, I think our relationships struggle because of that. We, we tend to think of what do I get out of the relationship? And is it possible that that bleeds into, that selfish nature bleeds into the idea of having a relationship with God? That I, I know God, I think about God, I think I have a relationship with God, but, but really it's because I feel love, maybe I feel security, maybe I feel a sense of eternal purpose or hope that if I die, I can have a place to go and, and see, you know, the loved ones. Uh, maybe there's even a sense of pride, like I have this the God, relationship with God and those poor people out there don't. It, it's very possible that we review, uh, review our relationship with God through selfish, self, selfish motives. Paul in the scriptures uh, was inspired by the Spirit to reflect this in Romans chapter 1 when he was writing about the concept of sin and how we stumbled into it. And he says, For although they knew God, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. In other words, it was selfishly motivated. And after that, they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds grew dark. In other words, the relationship grew dim because of selfish motives. I think, again, most of us struggle with this idea of having a relationship with God because we're really, when we get down to it, we're pretty selfishly wired. He doesn't fit well 
This concept of a, a, a God who's all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, holy and righteous, that doesn't always fit. There's no room for that in a world full of me. When I am still the star of my own story, there's just not room for another big character like that. He doesn't fit well into our lives. And so as long as we view life that way, like a big me and maybe a little bit of God, it doesn't ever feel satisfying enough. And how does that look like if we have a relationship with God that's built on big me and little God? Well, it can look like this, that we think going to church or, or, or is maybe visiting with him for a bit, going to his house, it's kind of like grandma's, it's got some, some weird things in it, a little bit old, but, but pretty nice, you know? Uh, and we kind of, you know, visit with him for a while, and then we go back out, and it's kind of like, whew, okay, made it through that. Um, <laughs> you're laughing because it sounds true, right? Um, we can tend to view that God is in this place, or maybe he's in the space even when we pray or we spend time in Scripture, uh, you know, reading our Bible, but in the end, we can close the book or say amen, and we go about the rest of our days, because big me, little God. That's genuinely uh, very unsatisfying. The thing about God, and we've talked about this a few times over the weeks, is that God is love. It doesn't say he does loving things or he's loving by nature. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says God is love. In fact, we can't love unless we know God, right? Because he's the source of it. He is it. That's why a couple weeks ago we talked about who is Jesus. Is Jesus really God? I was like, he can't be anything else but. He's love personified. Because God is love, not just does loving things, he genuinely is love, okay? When you unpack that idea of God being love, what you get is a relational capacity, a capacity for relationships, as God has, that's infinite and perfect. God's heart, his love, is never-ending, it's infinite. And it's so deep, we'll never experience the all of it. It's so full, it's perfect. It's infinite and perfect. God's relational capacity is wonderful and yet overwhelming at the same time. But his relational capacity, his love, has no bounds. That's who God is. Can we have a relationship with that God? And if so, what would it look like? So I'm going to change the question a little bit from can we know God to what would it even look like to be in a relationship with God? What does it look like to know God personally? And this is actually a bigger question than I can answer on my own. And so maybe you're familiar with like the three tenors. Uh, I've invited the three pastors. So Pastor Joy and uh, Lars are going to join me in responding to this question. What is it to know God personally? And uh, Joy is going to step up first and talk to us about presence. But may I pray first? Mm -hmm. Father, thank you. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the friends that have gathered here in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would instruct us in our hearts, not just those of us who are presenting, but those who are listening, that we would have a sense of encounter with you and your love that might even be life-changing. Thank you, God, that you are love and that your love is infinite and unending and perfect. And we give this time over to you, Lord. Meet us where we are. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Meet us where we are. So I remember when my boyfriend and I decided to get married. It was about 19 years ago. 
And we had one primary reason when people would ask us why. And it was, we want to be together. It's because our whole relationship to that point had been long distance. I'd gone to college in South Dakota. Justin had gone to college in New York. My family was moving from North Dakota to Indiana. His family had just moved from Minnesota to Vermont. This is very confusing. We had absolutely no idea where we wanted to live or what we wanted to do with our lives, but we knew we wanted to be together. We wanted to be present to and with one another. And I think that is because we as human beings are created for relationship. We've talked about that in this series. This isn't just about marriage either, right? We're created for all kinds of relationships and we need good relationships to have a life of flourishing. This includes friendships, running buddies, siblings, parents, children, friends we've known since seventh grade or friends we just met a few years ago. And when they're at their best, these relationships are wonderful and life-giving. But when they're not, they are tragic. They bring sadness and grief. And then when someone that we love deeply dies, it's tragic. Nine years ago, my grandmother died. She was elderly. She was sick. We were expecting it. But my mother, her only daughter, still weeps sometimes in her grief. My mom's a Jesus follower. She has this deep relationship with Christ, right? But she still grieves because we grieve when relationships end because presence matter. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago after, after my grandmother died, I remember thinking, oh, I should tell grandma about that. Presence matters. Mm-hmm. We want to be with people who love us and who we love. We want to be present. And you can't have a real relationship without presence. And this is why none of your pastors or a counselor would recommend a long-distance marriage. It's not going to work. It's good to be together, to talk, to walk. Even doing the dishes together isn't bad because you can talk and communicate and listen and encourage one another and laugh together. This is why often we become good friends with coworkers in a healthy environment, right? Presence matters. Mm-hmm. And this is also a little picture of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. That God, unlike one's spouse or friend from seventh grade, is always present. Humans come and go, like the girl in the film said. Humans come and go. God is always present. I love the poetry of Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, because it shows us what it's like to have a relationship with God and be in God's presence. The psalmist says, I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we see in the psalm that when you have a relationship with God, he's in first place. He is before you. You set him first. This means that he gets precedence. But it also means that you can follow him in the good times and in the bad times. But it's interesting, even as, as he's before you, the psalmist also says he's at, he's at your right hand. And in the culture of the Bible, in the ancient Near East, the, the right hand is the place of honor. 
In our lives, we don't have the place of honor. God does. We're not number one. God is. And this is good news. It provides security because I know that whatever happens to me, God is with me. He's in charge. He's before me. He's beside me at my right hand. He doesn't relinquish us to the places of shadow, that was the Sheol, or allow us to see the pit. Because God is present. He is present as a guide taking us on the path of life. Think about how much better a hike in a challenging place is when you have a guide to go before you and to walk beside you. The path of life is a beautiful path in the presence of God, even when it's frightening. You can make it through. And in God's presence, there is the fullness of joy. The presence of God brings joy. You know, these, the saints, the people who have walked with Jesus for a really long time and who are getting elderly, and maybe their face looks wrinkly and they don't look beautiful according to the world standard, but you know what they have that we don't yet have? It's this radiance of knowing God. It's this radiance, this glow, this, this joy and fullness and radiance because they know God, and they're going to recognize him after they die. Jesus promised the disciples right before he ascended, I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Nothing can separate us from God's presence. You know that. As you step into relationship with Jesus, you will be guided by God's spirit. You will experience deep conviction of sin sometimes, which will prompt you toward confession and then obedience. You'll experience God's encouragement and comfort and truly grow in relationship with Jesus because Jesus is a person. He's not a force or an ethereal presence. Jesus is real. And you can say, yes, Jesus, I want to experience your presence. I want to be in relationship with you. We don't come to church because Jesus is here, right? Jesus isn't just someone you come to church to worship. This building isn't where Jesus lives. He lives with us, each of us who has a relationship with him. And he is always with us. So that means no matter where you are, at church, at work, home, school, walking around the neighborhood or catching up around the house, Jesus is with you. You are in the holy presence of God. It's hard to imagine sometimes when you're, doing laundry or dishes, but sometimes at home when I'm cleaning up the kitchen, I, I turn off my music or podcasts, and I just wash the dishes in silence. I remember that Jesus is at my right hand. He's letting the dishes air dry. Amen. Well, Joy started talking about um, marriage, so I'll confess that I really love weddings. Um, I've grown to love them more and more uh, as, as I get older. I think there was a, a period when all of our peers and friends were getting married where I couldn't even keep track of who was getting married and what town we were in, and every wedding seemed the same. But I, I tell you, the older the more weddings I go to, I appreciate them more and more. And I know some of you have been married for a long time. You know this because when you go to a wedding now, you relive it, right? You relive the vows you made. You relive the, the songs that you sing and just the whole and it brings me back to that, that day of, of wedding for, for Katie and I uh, in Wheaton, Illinois. Beautiful, uh, sunny, windy day. Not quite as windy as today, thank goodness. Uh, but windy, beautiful day. And, and I think that 
like Joy said, I walked into that going, this is really about presence. I finally get to just be with this person for the rest of my life. We get to be present with one another. We don't have to say goodbye at the end of the night. We get to just be together with one another, right? But something happened. Our pastor, Rick Carlson, did something. He said, I want, you to, I want you to do something that's a little daring as we were standing up there. And he goes, I want you to turn around and look at the people who are gathered here today. And that is a scary thing to look out, right? To see all these people who have gathered. This is something I do now. Every time I marry a couple, I have them do this because it was so deeply meaningful for me. And you look out and, and, and you start to see something. And, and I remember in my own heart what happened that day was I went, oh man, this is not just about Katie and I coming together and happily ever after. This is a big deal. These are families coming together. And all these people are here to, to hear the vows that I'm making and the promises that I'm making. And, and they're going to like hold me to it, right? This is a big, big deal. And I realized that this marriage wasn't just about presence. It was a step further. It was about really participating that our lives were tied intimately together. And this is reflected in our liturgy for weddings. We say, these, these two shall no longer be referred to as two, but one. Mm. Right? They're joining together this closely. My mentor and friend, Klein Snodgrass, New Testament scholar, brilliant guy, 50 years of, of doing scholarship, and at his retirement, gathered with all the pastors in the covenant that he had cared for and nurtured, was asked, if you're going to boil down 50 years, what do you want? He said that the gospel of Jesus Christ, more than anything else, is a gospel of participation. More than anything else. He knows the ways that in our church today, we can use phrases that speak to our relationship with Jesus, but leave out the participation part. Sometimes we say, I invited Jesus into my heart. What does that do? It makes Jesus about this big, right? And we invite him into our heart. Or we say, I'm a Jesus follower, which is a wonderful thing. But sometimes that can feel like just some cosmic game of follow the leader where we're, all we ever get to see is Jesus' backside, right? Mm. Or we say, I believe in Jesus, which is wonderful, and I hope, I hope you do. That doesn't speak to participating in his life and inviting him to participate in ours. And that's not the language, actually, that our church was founded on. One of the fundamental questions that our church was founded on was, how goes your walk? Not what, what do you believe, where are you at, how goes your walk? And what is that question? It's, how goes your walk with Jesus? That's engaged. That's full body. That's, that's participating in every way in life. So Paul gets this, by the way. When Paul talks about his relationship with Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about just belief in Jesus or, or an understanding of Jesus. Look what he says, 1 Corinthians. God is faithful. By him, you were called into fellowship of the Son. Participation is another way to translate that. Participation in the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Christ who lives in me. No longer two, one right? This is participation. For Paul, participation is not about right belief or, or even right behavior. It's about the whole life, every single part of our lives participating in the life of Jesus. So I want you to think about how do you define your relationship with Jesus and is participation part of that? 
And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you get to start fresh and go, what would, what, what would a, a life of participating with God, creator of the universe, look like? Let me give you an analogy. Uh, a couple years ago, we were at, at school, at, at our kid's grade school, and it was like a social studies fair, if I remember correctly. And so every kid's got their poster board of their, you know, whatever they studied and, and all this stuff. And I'm walking through, and, and I know that some of you have been here before. I'm walking through, and I'm going, a kid did that one. Kid did that one. Parent definitely did that one, right? There's no way that this kid did that and has that handwriting and uh, printed all these things. Per- like, this was clearly a parent who came in and was like, I need to I'm just going to help a little bit of the way and, and hold their hand through this process. And then I thought about my own science fair when I was in fifth grade, CPS schools. I worked on a volcano. That's kind of cliche. Um, but the kid next to me, literally brought a, a pine cone with peanut butter on it as a bird feeder. I don't think his parents even knew that there was a science project, right? This kid probably had a peanut butter sandwich and was walking to school and was like, oh, I forgot about the science. I'll grab this pine cone and we'll smear it on here and we'll figure it out. And don't we sometimes think of our relationship with God this way? Where it's like, if I'm in relationship with God, if I believe in him and I do the right things, he'll kind of take care of everything for me. He'll hold my hand through everything. He'll, he'll make everything just really good. And, and if it's wrong, it's probably my fault. Or sometimes we have a faulty relationship about God where we say, God doesn't really care about what I'm doing at all. <laughs> and he kind of just my own devices. But if you can get an image of, of a parent coming alongside that child and helping them through that process, helping them make it their own, teaching them, uh, guiding them in places, but letting, the, letting there be typos and letting the handwriting be bad because that's where they are. You see, the, the relationship that I'm talking about in terms of participating with God is that God wants to participate us in the projects that he has for us, not, not so that we would get a good grade, but because he wants to spend time with you. He wants to be present with you, and he wants you to do your very best as you learn from him. And he wants you to participate because here's the thing, God could do the project totally himself, but he wants to do it with you. Mm-hmm. And here's the twist. The twist is this. We're the project. Mm-hmm. We're the project. God, through participating with us because of his great love for us and his presence with us, calls us to participate in his larger life, the life of God, because he loves us and he wants to form us. So I invite you this morning as you think about your relationship with God. If it's not one of participation, let's take that step this morning. Amen. So a relationship with God. Can we have one? If we did, what would it look like? I heard Pastor Joy talk about the idea of presence, that there would be no place that he's not. We would walk with him always in front of us, at our side of honor, behind us even, encouraging always his presence, no matter what we're doing, even the dishes. We heard Pastor Lars talk about participation, that we get to participate with him in kingdom building, both around us and in us and through us. And all of that is done under the idea of the hope, the hope that God gives us in Christ. I mentioned to you at the start of this, we got into it, the idea that God's love is uh, it's infinite and it's perfect. It has no bounds. It's never-ending. 
To understand, to embrace that, to experience that would require nothing less than an eternity to do so. To experience that kind of love, infinite, deep perfection, would require nothing less than an infinite amount of time for us to just even grasp it, which is why God in His grace is so wonderful to offer us that gift when we enter into eternal life with Him. He says, I love you, accept me, accept the grace that I give you in Christ, and I will give you eternal life. I would say that having that sense of hope and that promise of eternal life is essential, is an essential part of our embracing a relationship with God. Nothing less will do. Which puts texture on this classic verse, which many of you probably, you know, first one maybe you memorized or you see it held up at, at games. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Do you see that? Let's look at that again. The idea that God's love is so full, he loves the world. Well, what does that mean? Just the world present today, the billions in the world, he loves them all. I struggle with just the few that I know. His love is so vast that at this very moment, his love covers the entire world. His heart aches individually for every person, unfathomable to us, that he could have a heart so inclined that he'd be willing to love everyone presently on the earth now, but it gets even wider than that. It's not just now. It's the world throughout the time, throughout all of history. He has so loved the world that his desire is to have a relationship with each and every soul that he has created, that he has poured out, that he's formed in their mother's womb. He loves them so dearly that he loves everyone who ever is and everyone born today and will continue until the end of the age when he returns. God's love is so vast that he gives us his one and only son so that we can receive that love. And now do you see that? Spend an eternity enjoying that relationship with him. Because it's going to take that long just to scratch it and to understand it, and to embrace it, and to hold it, and to feel it. It's going to take that long. But do you notice the other part that's kind of hidden in there as well? That not knowing him, not having a relationship with him, not walking in his love, that's something else altogether. It's called perishing. There's a promise that God has poured over our hearts. And as we consider this big question today, our final question in Explore God, can we know God personally? Friends, I have to ask you, do you know God personally? Have you received the gift of that love, Jesus, that opens our hearts to be filled with a love that is so overwhelming, it'll overflow out of us, and we will be in his presence always, and we get to participate in kingdom building both in us and through us and around us under the great hope and promise that one day we'll experience it to the fullness, and even then we'll need an eternity just to be able to embrace it. Do you know 
God personally. It's so easy to keep a little bit of God kind of around in the pocket or to assume that he speaks another language of these and thys and thous and it's not related to who you are. He wants to know you. He loves you so fully that he sent his only son so that you could have a relationship with him that will never end. Do you know God personally? In these seven weeks, hearts have been opened up to these big questions of exploring God. But friends, God is exploring for you all the time. And he wants to know you. Have you received his love? So in response today, we're going to do something a little different. The pastors are here because we're unified in this. We don't want anyone to leave here with a sense of insecurity or missing out or feeling like, I just, I'm not, I don't know. And so if you're here as the uh, worship team leads us in responsive worship and you want to come forward and be prayed for by the pastors to end that sense of insecurity, doubt, fear, we would love to pray for you. Or if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I can come up. You know, I've been here for a long time. What are people going to say and think? If you can't block that out, that's okay. Then, then just, just raise your hand. Just do that. And one of us will come and pray with you where you are because that's who God does. That's what God does. He meets you where you are. Let me pray now as a model for what I think is in our hearts and we'll move into this time of worship in response to his call. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you, God, that you so love the world that your desire is to walk in love-step relationship with each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, that when we're far off and gone, you continue to pursue our hearts, to know you, to walk with you in a personal relationship that is filled with your presence, that is divine in its purpose, in its participation, and fruitful in its pro uh, pro promise. Holy Spirit, come. Bring us into this space where we can set down the doubts and the fears and the questions and just receive your love fresh today to know you always. Now, if you're here this morning, the idea is that we surrender our ways that we've tried to entertain a small God into our big lives. Just drop that. We, we let go of our questions and our doubts and our fears. We say, Take them. And we say yes to his love in Christ. Receive it as our story and begin to walk new. If that's you, if God is calling your heart today, don't leave. Come forward or raise your hand. Amen.